Words like violence break the silence. Come crashing in into my little world. Painful to me, pierced right through me. Can't you understand? Oh, my little girl, all I ever wanted, all I ever needed is here in my arms. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! Don't blow us all to atoms! Welcome everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host Rob Elba. It's wonderful to be here. You probably tell the last, I don't even know, oh god, the, the episode before this, Sarah, I was, the the flu, I, I think I was just getting the flu and and I shouldn't have done the episode and I did it. I sounded horrible, I know. So now I I probably, I still don't sound great, but I sound better, but whatever. It, it, like I said, it is what it is and I'm not going to let little uh flu or this or that you know stop uh that record got me high because it's just this is just too important what we're doing here people and uh what we're doing is we're talking about records uh that that got people high so sarah the last time i spoke to you oh by the way i should interview <laughs> introduce my guest from <laughs> connecticut it is uh we have poet music lover fashion lover uh, Sarah Nichols, welcome back to the show, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, no, it's great having you. And we talked about New Order last time. We talked about technique, and I think you had mentioned uh, this next band and this album. So I would say maybe this band uh, that we're going to talk about now and New Order are, are your uh, big two bands as far as bands that have just uh, meant a lot to you and you've listened to. Yes, I mean, I just, I have a lot of favorites, um, <laughs> but Depeche Mode and New Order and probably The Cure. Okay, right, The Cure was like, the third one. Um, and Radiohead um, and really kind of the ones that have just stayed with me. Okay, right. But this is a big one, and you picked a, for me, I, you picked a really good record. We haven't talked, this is the first album we've done by this band. So, what are we talking about? What album are we going to talk about tonight? We are talking about Tepesh Mode's 1990 album, Violator. Yes. Violator came out in 1990. And I don't know, I was surprised in a way, just because, you know, Sarah, you know how, how it is as time goes on, you sort of lose concept of time, of when things were. You know, all the time now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just as it gets further and further away, you just like, when was that? So I, I for some reason, I thought Violator was like later in the 90s. But uh, no, you're right. Came out March 1990. And all right, so here's the thing for me. Obviously, you have a different depression uh, mode story than me as far as your life because uh, they were never a, a big band to me, but I always knew about them. But I, I, I remember specifically that something happened to them in the late 80s after they released like uh, Black Celebration and Music for the Masses. So I, I always knew I, I always knew of them uh, as this chirpy little you know pop uh, synth band, uh, synth pop band, 
And then uh, I realized, wow, these guys are becoming like darker and edgier. And then I, I guess in June, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about, in June 1988, they played a concert at the Pasadena Rose Bowl, right? Which the yes. which the documentary 101 is sort of looks uh, that way. I just, and I'm, for someone that's like loved Depeche Mode for as long as I have, I I only watched 101 for the first time last night. Oh, really? Wow. Shocking. <laughs> that's shocking. But yeah, they drew, that was a it big, is. yeah, that was a huge thing though, because they drew a crowd of over 60,000 people. And all of a sudden, like they were this massively successful rock band. And I, I like I, it's to me. It seemed like wow, you know, when did this happen? But uh, yeah, they they became just like huge. There was this huge band, and then this album when it came out, Violator in 1990, it was huge. It had big hits. It was on MTV. Uh, so all right, so Sarah, tell me when did you first uh, when did you first discover Depeche Mode? Start listening. I discovered Depeche Mode. Um, I want to. I always say that like. Black Celebration, it was either Black Celebration or New Order Substance was like the first tape that I bought with my own money. Oh, wow. this friend who introduced me to all these all of those bands and i was i was i think i was pretty much all in from from then i remember being in fourth grade and hearing people are people Right, right. Um, and kind of forgetting about them until like until I met this other person in I was in seventh grade. So that was like eighty six, and it just went from there. And I was upset, you know. I just got so there's always there's this line from Stripped on Black Celebration where this is what I kind of carry with me, like let you. Let me hear you speaking just for me. And that's what I felt like. It was like they were articulating all these things that I didn't understand. And like it just grew from there. I remember like wanting so bad to go to the premiere of 101 in New York, but not being able to get tickets. I was just out in suburban Connecticut and really no one was listening to this stuff as far as I knew. 
And I was laughed at. It's like at one point, I mean, I got laughed at for leaving. Ah, <laughs> so that's not right. No, but, you know, I just carry, and I suppose if you told me, it's like I just turned 16 when Violator dropped. If you had told me then, you know, you're going to be listening to this when you're 49 years old, I wouldn't have believed you. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but it, but uh, you know, in retrospect, it all kind of makes sense. And also, even I was thinking for me, like at that time, because the '80s, I was still, I was into punk. I was getting into the Replacements and Sonic Youth. But I owned a Black Celebration too. For some reason, I bought brought Black Celebration, and I remember I thought it was great, and and I loved that record. And, and I yeah, it's I, fantastic. I, I, yeah, I, I I played a ton out of that record. So I somehow I became on board with them, and I think maybe because at that point uh, I was probably living up Massachusetts, and I was listening to college radio, and they were probably getting played a lot on college radio. So that, they that were. I mean, I listened. There's this. There was a station out of Long Island, WDRE, that really introduced me to them and all these other bands that were coming out at that time. Right. And there was a college station closer to home coming out of Western Connecticut State University that was playing even like more alternative stuff, like alternative, alternative stuff that you like from people that you never heard of. Right, right. But yeah, but there was something, uh, there's something exciting about that, about the fact that you could have these bands that in a way could seem just like these these outsider like goth themed bands like you know you got the Depeche Mode you got the Cure and then you got uh, uh, New Order from um, Joy Division but that also became really big bands in general like really pop ba- uh, popular bands that that had hits that had legitimate hits not just in the UK and in Europe but here in in the US too yes. Yeah, so I don't know. I I, I don't know. It, it it's kind of cool. It was like a good. Uh, well, you were uh, obviously you were at the ideal age to, to get into something like this in a band like this. Oh yes. Type of record, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my just. It's just the perfect time to just be immersed in an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And these are and and these types of bands were easy to sort of become obsessed with because they weren't. I don't know what it is. They were very, they managed to keep themselves mysterious, you know? There was a definite, definite mystery about them. I don't know if it was because they, they weren't, you know, from the US. They were, but uh, you know what I'm saying? It's It, it was different uh, yes. than, uh, than popular bands, than American bands that you knew. And you'd read like in the teen magazines. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there, I think there were teen magazines at that time that probably had, uh, you know, bands like this too. And, 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 but there was this mystery still about them. But then the, the also the fact that they could play, you know, a place like the Rose Bowl. Like 60, it's 65,000 like 65, yeah. people. It's crazy. It is. I like I only saw them for live for the first time in 2013. Oh, really? And, wow. Yeah. I mean, so it was like a lifetime of fandom was just building up to that moment. And like, it's amazing to see the energy and to feel the energy of the crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they do. And and that's the thing with a band like this. You would think like someone who's, who's like into rock bands and stuff, they think, oh, what are these guys going to do? You know, they, they don't even have a drummer. You know, they don't even have a real drummer. 
And it's like, uh, yeah, but uh, obviously that's not the point, especially just listening to this album again and really, really listening to it and going through it. Uh, it's so well produced and put together. And all the percussion uh, that's going on and the different sounds that's going on, it's just so well put together, but it's also so different than your standard hit rock album. It is, and I just, I just before I came on here, I just finished this book about the making of Violator, which is sort of like an oral, it's kind of like an oral history of people who, you know, who were involved in every aspect of making it, like, but actually no one from the band agreed to be interviewed for this book. Oh, okay. But um, it's very comprehensive and saying, like, there was that, there was that argument of, like, people were like, you're not a real band, you don't have drums. Right, right, right. And, but really, like, they had, like, up to that Pasadena show reading in this book, like, they had just constantly like work toward that for like nine years of like making an album touring relentlessly and just kind of building and building and building right yeah and this and uh so pretty uh, like after the fact famously especially to me because i love so much stuff he's produced produced by flood uh producer flood who i who i just think did such a great job on this because I guess I guess the way they did it like uh, they did it a, a little different uh, than they used to for so long like uh, Martin Gore used to just make these demos of the songs and really and really put a lot on there like how he wanted them to actually come out but on this one he was encouraged to just sort of do more sparse demos or something that they could work on and all build on uh, together and it really made him it made him come up with something special something really special i think yes it's just it's like i love i love black celebration and i feel like music for the masses is like this album of like great singles right but then violator just like goes boom <laughs> and it's like it's just it's so it's like it's so seamless it, it's seamless and it works. And, and, and one thing I love, I love records like this that are very, to me, really great, perfect. You could almost call them perfect records. They can't have that many songs. This has got nine songs, like nine, 10 songs is usually the sweet spot, I think, because you want it, you know, or else it starts to get meandering a little or there's some stuff you think of, oh, but maybe that doesn't need to be there. It's filler. But no, this thing really works as a, as a whole piece because it just has these nine songs. Yes, and then it had like this, it had quite a few B-sides. And I was listening to it this afternoon, and it's just, it's like, I'm not really on board with a lot of the B-sides. I mean, but they're <laughs> better than I remember. They, they're better than I remember. And one of them, Dangerous, really, I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted it to like be an A-side. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, that's all fine. You know, that's all fine, and that's all good after the fact. But this... uh this thing as a piece that we're going to talk about, uh, Violator, which I don't know, before we get into it, I, I read something funny. Did you read uh, at all why they called it that? I read um, I read somewhere that Martin Gore came up with like, just kind of in a kidding way to fuck with people. Of, right, like, the right. Most, <laughs> the metal, the most metal exactly. title that you could think of. <laughs> and that's how it happened. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. Um, all right, so let's get into the first track. Uh, it was the first track, and it was the fourth single. And it's kind of a blueprint in a way for the album's main. To me, for me, the main theme of the of this is like 
is like sex as being the be all and end all of everything in a way. Yes. <laughs> right. And uh, this is a good uh, blueprint for that. And uh, let's listen to a little bit of the open track world in my eye. Sorry, normally I don't play clips that long, but I had to keep it going till that because that's something I love that they do when they have these bridges, these little bridges that go sort of off in a little different musical way, and they're just so good. It is. It's just his voice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, was the first thing I was going to say. What you were saying, of like, you know, this is just like it's this. It's this like sex concept album. Yes. And I think, I mean, not being, not being as huge, obviously, a, a Depeche Mode fan, but I, I would just, as a casual fan, I would say some of his best, uh, David Gahan's best singing uh, on this album, I would think. It is. Um, and I've, and again, reading in this book, people pointing out the fact that it's like people underestimate him as a performer and as a singer. And it's like, he's so great. And then just like, Seeing what he gives in in like for a live audience is like it's amazing. Right, <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, but, but as as much as he can do that and lean into things, put out what I appreciate, especially like you could hear on this the way he can also kind of hold back and come in mm-hmm. subtle, very subtle and quiet, and he does it in a really good way. And it's just yeah, it's it's great. All right, so now we get uh, the second song, "Sweetest Perfection." We have. Uh, Martin Gore, which I didn't, I didn't realize I, I, you know, because I'm, like I said, I'm not that big a fan, but as I'm really digging into the record, I realized, oh, okay, Martin Gore actually sings some songs and he's singing, uh, I think he's singing the lead vocals on, on uh, this song, right? Yes, he is. He's again, a phenomenal, he's a phenomenal singer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and a, a little, a different style than, uh, David Gahan, but, uh, 
but nice. It's a nice change up. And I love this is as a thing. It starts with the chorus, which is an old uh, pop song trick uh, that they do here. Let's listen to a little bit of this sweetest perfection. The sweetest perfection to call my own. The slightest correction couldn't find me home. The sweetest infection. This, this, uh, I, I'm gonna play underneath, but it has a really cool like outro. It, it, it uh, starts getting noisy, like this little noisy outro, and it just adds the whole thing gives it a kind of uncomfortable feel to me, you know, uh, just like off. Uh, no, I was just thinking that it is just it's like I really, Sweetest Perfection is one of my favorite songs on the album, and it's like I love how it just creeps on you. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> And it's just like insidious, and then it just—it's like, oh, you know, you're just completely sucked in. Yeah, exactly. And and he's really good. I mean, I know you write poems, and uh, you're a poet, so you're really obviously really into words. And they, you know, uh, they have a thing that I've always appreciated, where a lot of their lyrics are simple, yet they really—they're really good at painting this very simple picture that kind of gets under your skin you know when he says the, the slightest correction couldn't find me home the sweetest infection of body and mind Swedish injection of influence. yeah they, they just do a real jo- uh, a really good job of not getting overly verbose but sort of getting down to the meat of definitely yeah right alright so, uh, so now we get the first like really big uh, hit on this Purportedly, I had no idea. Do you know this was inspired by uh, Priscilla Presley's book, Elvis and Me? I, d- I did. I remember reading somewhere. I did remember reading about uh, reading about that. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really funny. Martin Gore has said uh, it's a song about being a, a, a Jesus for somebody else, someone to give you hope and care. It's about how Elvis was her man and her mentor and how often that happens in love relationships. Uh, yeah, so kind of, again, a kind of a little, a little, you know, uh, sweet in a way, but also kind of off also. It's, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I really don't like personal Jesus. Oh, really? Uh, um, it's just, it's like, I think because it was, because it was like such a big song. Um, it was big and it's probably, it you know, a- I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why you don't like it, Sarah, because Marilyn Manson, <laughs> stupid Marilyn Manson did that, did a, one of his typically pointless, unnecessary covers of it in 2004, which added absolutely nothing to the song. And now I can't hear it without at least a little thinking about his stupid cover of it. So that's it's like, I actually like Johnny Cash's version of Johnny it Johnny Cash's version of it is cool. Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares. Actually, it's cool, and I, I think the, and actually, the band like there's a, a 
they showed them in 101 last night. They were in Memphis and they were in a country music store and Martin Gore was buying a cassette of Johnny Cash. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Well, but that's the thing. Sometimes songs become so big that they kind of get, uh, get taken away from you a little. But at the end of the day, it's still got that really infectious riff, that uh, a guitar riff that anchors the I know. I, it's like, I can't deny it. It's like, you, I don't really like it, it anymore. You but you just can't deny it. <laughs> you can't. Personal view. Reach out, touch faith. Stupid Marilyn Manson, I think, kind of ruined it for me. Brian Warner wishes on his on his best day that he could ever write a song that had, had this clever and had this good a hook in it, but he can't, so he has to cover someone else doing it and yes, and, and not even elevate it or do anything to it or just yeah, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> that's enough of that. All right, but this next one, oh, this is a really, I really like this next song. I have a feeling you do too, probably. Uh, let's listen to and then we'll talk about it a little bit of Halo. guilt like shackles on your feet like a halo in reverse i can feel the discomfort in your seat and in your head it's worse that's a really great lyric 
yes, it's just, it's, I said about this, it's just, it's like, he makes guilt sound so sexy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's like, I'm trying to think of any other songs that, you know, do the same thing. And I'm not really, I'm not coming up with anything. Right, because it's not usually a very sexy topic no it's not and, but it's just it's like he's like come share this with me okay, right. and you're like yes of course oh, that's great all right so waiting for the night you got uh gahan and gore uh sort of singing uh, together which is which is really nice and i really love i like how this has got like this slow build to it and it's kind of like a hopeful sounding type song. I, I feel like. Yeah, I um, I would always read. It's like I had two cassettes of this at one time, and I would like <laughs> I would I, I would always rewind. I would always rewind it so I could hear it twice. Oh, nice. Okay, uh, so let's listen to "Waiting for the Night." And the repetition give it this like haunting meditative feel for me. Yes, it's just it's it's beautiful. You know, that's just it's very it's very poetic and dreamy. Yeah, it's dreamy and it's funny. You know, Sarah, listening to, like listening to this album again, which I hadn't listened to in a really long time, I forgot because I sort of got it in my head like this was their big breakout album and it had uh, guitars on it you know personal jesus and i forgot it still had a lot of songs like this you know delicate very delicate songs with the with these like really pretty synths on it and uh i forgot uh like i said just so well put together and crafted uh album it's just it's like this it's kind of like this pause in the middle of it between like these bigger tracks right, and then right, something, right. you know, something quiet and it just, it works so well. Right. right. Exactly. It's a very well sequenced record. And especially, yeah, like you said, that going into this next song, Enjoy the Silence, which uh, uh, there's a lot to say about this, but let's, uh, let's listen to it first and then we'll talk about it a little. Let's listen to Enjoy the Silence. <laughs> Thank you. 
about a song that kind of that just sort of sucks you in. I remember when this for when this came out and they had that video on MTV of him just walking around with with that crown and that chair walking. And uh, man, I just remember it just it, it just sort of grabbed you. It does, and it's just it's like it's and now it's just such, it's such an iconic video now, and it's like again it's a big song and like. I think it was the second it was the second single of after personal Jesus. Um the second single, I mean. Right. It's as big as personal Jesus, but it's just it's like I can listen to it on repeat. Oh right. I I know and then and 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 something you probably realized cuz you just read that book on it which I had no idea was that originally it didn't sound like this at all, right? No, it really it really didn't and other people we're kind of like, no, you know, maybe another song would be better for a sing. You know, I think they were looking at Policy of Truth as the second single. But, you know, it's again, it's just it's like it's so perfect and undeniable. Yeah, well, I, I guess originally he brought it in as a ballad, like it was an organ and kind of a slow ballad. But Wilder, I guess, first was the first one had the idea to kind of speed it up. And then at first they didn't really like it, but I I think by the time Gore came up with that little uh, guitar riff, that little bluesy guitar riff, they knew you know it's sometimes when band, when you know oh okay this is a hit song right here <laughs> you could just sort of it know is, it. And it's just it's like it's such an amazing experience to hear it live because it's just it's like people get into it, you sing along, it's like as I say it's just it's like you can't deny it. It's it's so big and enveloping it, it is and i also really love i'm a fan of the concept which is basically what's the concept it's about uh, relationships uh where like uh feelings and thoughts are all that matter and then a lot of times you just fuck everything up by talking words fuck everything yes. up. yes <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they, they're unnecessary and they could actually do harm <laughs> yes yeah yeah which is great which is a really great concept and to to have it laid out like this in a song uh enjoy the silence uh which is great and it's so beautifully orchestrated and i love how like towards the end you know when the horns come in and they sort of add to the guitar part and then the horns are playing the same thing that it's playing and it gets bigger and bigger and it sort of uh swells uh it's so great it is yeah it's just massive and then and it's got this weird little song within a song at the end because it sort of ends and then he says, enjoy the silence. And then it's got this little creepy outro to it. Yes, it does. Enjoy it's just, silence. I remember when I was listening to it on, you know, when I first got the album and they like don't play the outro on the radio. And right, so hearing right. that for the first time, I was just like, what is this like weird little, you know, I was confused. Yeah, I thought, here. oh, is, is this a, a different song? And I'm saying, no, that my uh, CD player still says it's the same song. Even that kind of doesn't seem, it seems like it's a perfect way to go out. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this. Like, like you said, uh, I'm the same with this. I could just listen to this song over and over again because I just love it. It's so beautifully orchestrated. And it's kind of emotional. Like the music uh, makes you emotional, or at least me. It makes me emotional. You know? Yes. Right? We're a couple of softies, I guess. What can I say? Um, <laughs> right. No, it's, it's perfectly fine. Yes, it is perfectly fine. And uh, you mentioned Policy of Truth, which is fine, which is still like a really great biting, like a, kind of a biting uh, a pop tune, which is something else that they do. And uh, this song's really 
it's it's very it's very out there because it's just it's about suffering the consequences after a confession of wrong. You know, you you can you want to confess your wrongdoing, that's fine, but you may have to suffer the consequences. And uh, you know, and, and that's the a policy of truth, right? Dave Gahan just comes in with it very, you know, sh- should have hidden it, shouldn't you? Now you're not sad. He just, I don't think he gets enough credit as what a great rock vocalist is. Uh, he is just on the fact that the way he has such restraint, like I could picture so many other rock singers just like killing it, like over singing it and over singing everything. And he doesn't do that. And, and that's what makes it sound even more sinister is when he lays back on, on his vocals like that. They have... Like Depeche Mode, I feel like you could make a playlist of like their songs about betrayal and, you know, in the aftermath of betrayal. And it's just, it's like, it has such a slinky groove. Yeah. To right. It. Right. And it's just, it's like, again, it just kind of like, it creeps up on you. And then you're just in the song and it holds you. Yep. I know there's a lot of people out there that don't really like this song, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, no, me too. Well, I, 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 I really love this whole album. Now, I was going to ask you, so you're obviously, you listen, you know, the, your big three, we said already, uh, Depeche Mode, the, the Cure, New Order. Do you, are, will you be in a certain mood to listen to each one? Like, is each one like a little different mood that you're in? Yes. To to? Yeah. Because it's just, it's like, I feel like the darkness of Depeche Mode is different from the darkness of the Cure. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's like, and you think about, you know, Disintegration was released in 1989. And it's like, it's just a completely different vibe than this. And then like, New Order has like, that's again, it's a whole other mood. It is. Yeah, it is. It's funny because the casual, yeah, the casual listener might think, oh, they're all kind of like the same style band, the same style. But no, there is very... There's such distinct differences in the approach to way there is. And uh, yeah, Depeche Mode just have their own spin that's just, uh, that's just their own. And it's just, uh, to me, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just interesting how something like that and a band like that could still also uh, reach so many people and affect so many people and be, and be so big in, in their Yes, own and it's just, it's like, I remember, you know, when Violator came out and feeling like 
I'm one of the only people in my town who's listening to this. Like, where are the other people? It's like, I just had no, I like, I just had like no connection really to like other fans at that right. time. And then like, as an adult meeting up with so many people that like it touched in the same way. Right. And it's like, I'm like, where were you when I was 16? Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's true. <laughs> that, right. That's funny. It's like, no, yeah, there was no way. So I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe that's one of the good, so maybe social media isn't all bad though, because you can, it is much easier to find people in your tribe and that like, yeah, then it was, it was, it was hard, especially depending where you lived. It was almost impossible. Yes. And it's just like in 2017 for the support, um, in the support of their spirit tour, um, the official Facebook page for Depeche Mode had a thing of, they chose 365 people for each day of the tour um, to take over the page and it'd be an administrator. Oh, nice. And I was one of them. And so I like, I met up, you know, well, not really meet up, but like, that's where I felt even more of a connection. Right. And like sharing that experience with, you know, people who had, you know, who all like love it for different reasons. Right. That's cool though. That's great. Cause it is, it's true. Sometimes, especially when you're a teenager and young and you're thinking I'm the only one, you know, that gets this and that's listening to this. And yeah. And yeah. Of it's course, like, Oh no, wait, there are like millions uh, of people of out there. there who are other, just, yeah, it, out there like who loved way. it just as much as I did. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So now this one, we get the penultimate song, which is a pretty, it's a pretty song and it's ultimately a creepy song, I think by Gore. You know, it's got like this leering quality to it and everything. And I think it, at first I was thinking, oh, maybe this is the one song that could be kind of a filler. But it's like, no, I think it really works as the a penultimate track of, of the record. We could discuss it more. Let's listen to a little bit of Blue Dress. <laughs> I had to leave it play uh, to that part. <laughs> yes, I mean, 
I see it's, it's like I see it's creepiness too, but at the same time, it's just it's it's like it's kind of inviting. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. But it's just it's like it kind of stri- it kind of strikes a balance between just the creep. You know, it is creepy, yes, but at the same time, you know, the, you want to hear more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I agree. It just has this leering quality. But, uh, yes, it does. But it sucks you in at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it sucks you in, and then and it's a good. Like I said, I think it's a good uh, spot for the final song, uh, which is a really interesting song. Really interesting as for the album, and it's an interesting closer. And I didn't realize it that the opening bass guitar riff is uh, reminiscent of Pink Floyd's One of These Days. metal and apparently that was by design it's not by accident i didn't know that either and i don't think it says in the books that that book that i just oh okay yeah yeah i I read something uh, about it's um, kind of like it's a little esoteric right right but probably the maybe the darkest and strangest uh track on the record and I, I, let's listen to it a little, and then I have a, I have some questions for you about this. But let's, let's listen to a little. Oh, bit sure. Of the song "Clean." Yeah, so definitely, I'll I'll play a little of the Pink Floyd's metal underneath, and you'll you'll definitely see with uh, similarities. But all right, here here's my question to you, Sarah: Is this about drugs? Uh, when you look at where they were as a band, it's just it's like I don't think, as far as I know, Dave Gahan's 
problem with heroin. I don't know, like, if he was really in in that or starting it at this time, but it's like over the years, I've kind of interpreted it to mean it's about drugs. It's like I'm in recovery, so it's just it's like it's kind of taken on this like, old life in my head. It didn't. It's like the, again, the book didn't really offer like any any tr- like any hard answer as to like what it's quote unquote about. Right. You know, like it wasn't until like Songs of Faith and Devotion in 1993, like Alan Wilder left the band, and I guess both Dave Gahan and Martin Gore, they were kind of like escalating their different addictions, and things were definitely like tumult- far more tumultuous than like this particular period. Oh, okay. But maybe a, a precursor to all that, or maybe you know, it possibly you know, I don't know. And it's just, it's like, what, what do you think it means? I, I mean, that's exactly what I think. Because, and and also, but you're right because I remember reading about Dave Gahan and, and did have struggle with heroin. But you're right, that was after all this. This is this is pre all of that. But yeah, when he's just saying at the at the at the end of the tears and the in between years and the troubles I've seen now that I'm clean. You know what I mean? I've broken my fall, put an end to it all. I changed my routine, now I'm clean. Yeah, it sounds like someone. It really sounds like someone, you know, trying to get clean, but maybe they were using it. Maybe at the time he was thinking of it as a metaphor more. Maybe, or there was other stuff, or there's other stuff going on that, like, I don't, you know, that I don't know about. Right. But that's cool. But that, but that's great in a way that you could take something like this yourself, and the fact that you and, and you being in recovery, and you could listen to it, and you could make it what you need it to be. Yes, and it's just it's like I was not an addict when I was sixteen, but it was just like, and at that point, I kind of saw it as a like starting over and like trying for something better, and not really like attaching any like deeper meanings. Right. Right. Yeah, which would which, which would also be a good message for the end of an album, anyway. So, uh, right. Yeah, no matter how you look at it, 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 it's a great ending track, I think, and it's just got this pulsing, throbbing quality to it. That yeah, it's like it almost, in some ways, it's sort of like it has like a dirge quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it, and it sort of brings you back, and it makes you want to listen to the whole thing all over again. Yes, and God knows I've done that <laughs> many sure times. Have. All right, now here's the here's the question we haven't uh, we haven't mentioned uh, the death of Andy Fletcher, but they're still. Did I read they're getting ready to tour? Again? Yes, they've started it. They just started on the tour to support the new album, and I just listened. I just listened to that um, to the whole thing today for the first time, and it's like it's pretty great. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, there were just like, like Delta Machine and Spirit are just sort of like not really memorable to me. Um, but this is definitely like they're back and it's really tight. Okay. So this is something you, you're, you're excited for and that you're, I I am excited for, and like when they announced they were going to tour last year, it was just like, I did not see that as a possibility, but I got a ticket for October as a birthday gift. Oh, nice. So I am 
quite happy about that. Oh, that's good. And and uh, and we got the uh, Cure going on a tour now. All we need is for Peter Hook to make up with Bernie, and then yes, <laughs> yes. I don't see that happening. No, it's <laughs> it's, it's never. Gonna... It's like maybe if they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because they're up this year, like New Order slash Joy Division is up this year. Oh, so maybe okay. if, like, maybe if they get in, you know, if they're instated into the, you know, into the thing, you know, it could happen. I guess I don't know. It always amazes me maybe. how much how much people hate each other where they would give up such big, you know, just out of nothing else, paychecks they could get, you know, such a big payday they could have. But it's like people, some people must really just can't stand each other that much that they would give that up. No, there's just like, there's just so much pettiness there. Oh, so much pettiness, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I read uh, Peter Oak's uh, book, which is great. I, mm-hmm. I love it. It's great. And, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of pettiness. Uh, but there's no pettiness here. Uh, with you, Sarah, always a great guest, and uh, this was a really great record to talk about. I'm really glad you. Oh yes, this. yes. So do you have uh, so anything coming with you? Anything you'd like to uh, promote? To uh, no, um, I still have, I still have my book, which was published in 2021 of like of creative nonfiction music pieces called Press Play for Heartbreak, where I write a couple. I have a couple essays in there about being a Depeche Mode fan, but that's like, it's not new. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, I don't, I, you know, what do I, I, the only new thing I have is a new episode every week, but uh, uh, as far as the old stuff, you know, you guys, uh, you could all follow me on Instagram and Facebook at, at that record got me high. Also that Facebook group got me high on Twitter. It's at TRGMH podcast. You could email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, anyone who would like to become a patron of the show, we, I just start, you guys, do you love it? I just start the show. I don't talk, I don't have to talk about stamps.com or any, or, uh, or better health or any of that crap. I don't talk about anything because uh, I have patrons of the show that help support it. So if you want to become a patron, just a little, uh, or as little as $2 a month, go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You become a patron of that record got me high. I'd really appreciate it. Other than that, uh, don't forget, whatever you're listening on, subscribe. Write a little review if you want. That always helps. You can rate it. And I appreciate all of you so much. And Sarah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for having me back. It was wonderful. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm glad And this time you didn't have that noisy drink that like I, it, it took me half the episode to figure out what is that noise? And it's like, oh, Sarah's got like, a glass <laughs> with ice in it. So I'm glad you <laughs> I brought a straw this time. Good. Smart girl. Smart girl. See? Uh, All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Sarah. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here.